God is so good. Did you know that God is even good to the world? Even to the unbeliever? It's called common grace, that God gives common grace to the people of the world. People that don't know Him, He so shows His goodness and kindness. Young people may be excused for Sunday school.
When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think I would have been glad too. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciple told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for such a fantastic word, for such an emotional word, but such a true word. We ask you, God, touch our hearts. We have not seen the resurrected Christ, but we believe. We believe in all our hearts that God raised your son, Jesus, from the dead. Help us to increase our faith this evening, Lord. And help us to become more like Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who don't know, I, I am a fisherman. I don't only fish for men, but I fish for fish. Namely, striped bass, bluefish. And I have a friend who's a superb fisherman. And I often meet with him and we fish together. When you're retired, you get to fish a lot. He's been lately sort of my mentor in fishing. And one of the help, helpful things we do is we network. I usually text him and ask him where the fish are biting. And he's in touch with me and with many other fishermen in the area. And he usually knows where they are. He's trustworthy and he's dependable. And if he says there's nothing going on, usually there's nothing going on. I say usually because he can't be in all the places. But if he says there's nothing going on, for the most part there's nothing going on. If he tells me, for example, go to the bogs particular place that we fish at they're blowing up that means the water is erupting with bait and the, and the striped bass are chasing after them I get into my car and I hurry over there so I don't miss what we call the run because they might only be there for an hour they could be there for 10 minutes but you don't want to miss the run see I take my friend at his word I know I can trust what he's telling me what he's doing is he's giving me good and accurate information Recently we were fishing, and not really catching anything, and we were fishing with this other fisherman, and my friend said, you know, I got this, well, I, I, I went on Facebook and I got this posting that is striped bass and false abacore at this other particular place that we fish at. I'm ready to go. I'm saying, let's go. And he said, no, I'm not going. I said, why? He said, because the guy who posted this he exaggerates, he drinks, and he gets high. And all his friends that fish with him exaggerate, they fish, and they get high. So we were with another guy, and he said, well, I'm going to go check it out. My friend wouldn't waste his time, he knew. The other fisherman went there, see, went there to see if there's any validity to what the posting said, only to find nothing there. The man was not trustworthy. With my friend... I don't have to see the fish chasing the other fish. I believe him without seeing it. Now, if I actually see it myself, 
I don't need my friend to tell me because I physically see it. But if I don't see anything, I need my friend's report, which I trust. You and I will never, ever see the physical Jesus in this life. We'll never see him. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So whenever I hear people say they saw Jesus, I have to pull back and say, how? The physical Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. But we have the witness of the scriptures which are trustworthy. Just like my friend is trustworthy. I don't have to see the fish. I know when he says it, they're there. You and I have the witness of the Bible, the witness of scriptures. We can believe that Jesus is alive without seeing the physical Jesus. And my proposition for this message is, do you see the resurrected Christ in the scriptures? It's important. Three points I'm going to bring to you. Point one, do you recognize the presence of the resurrected Christ? Point two, do you have the peace of the resurrected Christ? And point three, do you believe the word of the resurrected Christ? We're only going to look at point one today. Pastor Brian will be back in the pulpit next week. And then the following week after that, I'll be back to do points two and three. Okay, let's read verses 11 through 15 again. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped in to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to a Woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Whom, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus appeared to Mary first. The first one she appeared to was Mary. Of all the disciples, Jesus appeared to a woman first. Not an apostle or some great church leader. She appeared to this woman named Mary Magdalene. He also appeared, he also, I should say, <coughs> revealed his messiahship to a woman. The first time he ever revealed his messiahship was to a woman. In the fourth chapter of John. Woman, and why, why did he do this? We don't really know why, but we could surmise. Women in antiquity were very oppressed and frowned upon by the Jewish men of that time but isn't that like Jesus he always cares for the oppressed he always cares for the poor he always cares for the widow he always cares for the orphan the one society rejects Jesus cares for and the women back in that time were very very oppressed so he first appeared to Mary who was the first evangelist by the way which we will talk about in a little while. But notice there's no room for gender discrimination in the Bible when it comes to God revealing His Son. Now, of course, in the church and marriages, God gives, you know, roles. That we can't get away from. The Bible teaches that, and we, we, we believe that, and we honor that. But when it comes to God revealing His Son, when it comes to salvation, there is no gender discrimination. And we have our opening scene here. Mary is standing outside the tomb and she's weeping. Weeping. Now, we might think she's just going, you know, she's Mrs. Jesus. But the word weep means she was wailing. She was deeply crying from her heart. Why? Because Jesus had this profound effect on her life. You know what he did? He cast out seven demons out of her. Jesus did this. She was a great sinner who Christ forgave. She was forgiven much, so she loved much. And that's why the deep pain in her heart was manifested through this deep crying, this deep 
wailing. And, and through her tears, she looks into the tomb and sees two angels in white. Now, I hardly think she recognized them as angels because she was so overwhelmed. And, and the angels say to her, which may have been a mild rebuke, Woman, why are you weeping? And it's as if, it's as if they said, Why are you crying? Implying there's no need to cry. Dr. Andreas Kostenberger said, The question constitutes a call for Mary to set aside her anguish and recognize the reality of Jesus' return to life. But guess what? There's still a stone at the entrance of Mary's heart causing darkness to shroud her understanding concerning the resurrection of her master. She still thinks someone stole the body. She still can't understand that the, that the Christ, the Messiah, had arised from the dead. And after she tells the angels her concern, she turns around. Why she turned around? We don't know. It's possible one of the angels motioned the early church father Christendom said he believes that the angel pointed to Jesus. You know, the angels get excited when they see Jesus too. And he may have pointed to Jesus and she turned around. In any event, Mary turned around and saw Jesus. And Jesus asked the same question. Why, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? The first question seems to imply there's no need to cry, just like the angels. The second question, whom are you seeking, seems to challenge Mary. In other words, are you seeking the dead or the living? Dr. Bruce Milne suggests there is perhaps an implied challenge in his words. Mary's problem in common with all the disciples was that she did not hold a large enough view of Jesus. She was searching for a corpse instead of seeking a victorious Lord. Though it is fair to ask would we have acted differently? And I want to say that along with Dr. Bruce Milne. Would we have acted differently? No, I don't think so. I think we would have been acting the same way. Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. And said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Listen, Mary loved Jesus with a whole heart. Jesus, as I said before, cast out seven demons, forgave her of great sins, so she loved him deeply. And now in her grief, all she wants to do is recover the body of Jesus and give him a decent burial, even if she has to carry him herself, which by the way was unrealistic. But this is what grief does. It makes one think unrealistically. Mary didn't recognize Jesus. Now then, have been numerous reasons why or suggestions why she didn't recognize Jesus. One of the reasons is her tears. She couldn't see through her tears. That's a good reason. I mean, that sounds logical, right? But I don't think that was the reason. I think and I believe there's only one reason why she did not. She was prevented from recognizing Jesus until he chose to reveal himself to her. Not only her, but all the disciples. Turn with me to Luke 24. We're going to look at verses 16 or 13 through 16. This is after Jesus was resurrected. He's walking on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Talk about emotion. I, I really get overwhelmed when I read this passage of scripture. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They couldn't recognize Jesus. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Remember, if you read chapter 21 in the Gospel of John, Peter and John were fishing. Remember? And Jesus is on the shoreline. 
This is after he was resurrected. Jesus is on the shoreline. He calls out, friends. Or actually, he said, children. Have you any fish? And they said, no, we have none. And he said, cast your nets onto the right side. They cast the nets onto the right side. All of a sudden, they have a numerous amount of fish because Christ created fish. 153 large fish, their nets almost broke. Didn't break, but almost broke. Peter sees them and jumps into the water to be next to his Lord. You see, they were kept from, they were kept from understanding who Jesus was and they didn't see him, they didn't understand that it was him until they caught all those fish. And it brought them back to the first time they caught the fish when he was calling them to be apostles. Then they recognized Jesus. Then their eyes were open. God reveals the Son to whom He wants and when He wants. You don't just decide, well, I'm going to recognize Christ or the Father or the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Matthew 11, verse 27. Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and... Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then Matthew 16, verses 16 and 17, Peter replies to Jesus. Jesus asked him a question of who the men say that I am. And Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, God reveals Opens hearts, removes the scales from our eyes to see his son. So Mary at this point still didn't recognize Jesus. But that's going to change. It's all going to change. Let's go to verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. One word, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. Which means teacher. One word, Mary. And the stone was rolled away and the darkness became light. And she recognized her Lord and Savior, Jesus. And Mary explained, exclaimed, Rabboni. Rabboni is a title of honor and reverence. Mary was not just honoring Jesus with a title, but implying something more personal, a deep relationship. My teacher. It's like when a child says, my daddy, my mommy. This was personal. Dr. Bruce Mill said, Mary responded in ecstatic joy. Raboni, my own dear teacher. She recognized his voice. The scales came off her eyes. The stone was rolled away. Light came in and she recognized the Savior. She recognized his voice when he called her by name. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. She recognized his voice. Jesus is the great shepherd, and Mary is the one of his sheep, one of the sheep who hears his voice. The people of God recognize a good shepherd's voice and never follow a stranger. Jesus reveals himself to Mary with one word, her own name, and he opened her eyes. You really remember that Christ opened the eyes of the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, the one we just looked at. It says that they were kept from seeing him and understanding who he was. Let's turn to Luke 24. Let's read the rest of that story. Verses 30 to 32. When he, meaning Jesus, was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened up the scriptures to us? Let's bring some application here. Do you recognize the presence of the, re- of the resurrected Christ? After Jesus' resurrection, 
He appeared to believers. He didn't appear to unbelievers. He appeared to believers. The unbelievers refused to recognize him when he was with them, so he did not appear to them. Matter of fact, Corinthians tells us he appeared to 500 brethren at one time. Can you imagine that? 500 people at one time. Believers. But the unbelievers refused to recognize him when he was with them. So he did not appear to them. He appeared to all those he chose. Today, the unbelieving world does not recognize Christ because they don't have the presence of Christ in their lives. How can we expect the unbelieving world to recognize the presence of Christ when they don't have Him in their lives? It's impossible. Sometimes I hear Christians speak with unbelievers as though they have the, they have the presence of Christ in their lives. They speak to them as if they're going to recognize Jesus working in their lives, even though they have never received Christ as Lord and Savior. Now I believe if Christ is working in an unbeliever, if he's working in that person's life, and he's drawing him unto himself for salvation, then the presence of God is working in their lives. Now I'm not saying that God does not bless the unbeliever. He does bless the unbeliever. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust, Matthew 5.45. God is a benevolent God, and he's kind to all mankind, as I said in the earlier. But this is to be distinguished from the everlasting love God has for his own, which is his elect. His presence is active in the believer's heart. And they can recognize that God, through Christ, has saved them and is working in their lives. But the unbeliever, most of the time, will never give thanks to God, even at a mealtime, because they don't see it coming from God. But my focus in this first point is not on the unbeliever, but you, if you're a believer. Do you recognize the presence of Christ? When he drew his son in our hearts and we were born again, we recognized that something happened and we were never the same. How many of you remember that? I certainly remember that. We acknowledge that God saved us. We recognize his presence in our lives concerning our salvation. But that's not my concern here. It's your day-to-day living. Do you recognize the presence of the resurrected Christ? Don't say yes so quickly. Pastor Brian and I, we speak to Christians and many times when they're in a trial, here's what they say. Where is God? Where is God? When everything is going well, they immediately say, God is so good. We were just singing that song. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me all the time, right? He's so faithful. And they recognize the powerful resurrection of presence the presence of Christ in their lives. But then sickness comes along, or a failed marriage, or financial difficulties, or hardships on a job, or whatever hardships come their way, and they say, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? They don't recognize His presence in their lives, because their spiritual vision is clouded by the trials and the tribulations of this life. Mary could not recognize Jesus because her heart was so weighed down with the loss of Jesus. Even though Jesus told her many times and all the disciples, the Son of Man is going to suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the Pharisees, and on the third day He's going to rise. He told them many times. But they didn't understand. They couldn't recognize Him. What does it take for you, the believer, to recognize Christ's presence in your life, even when you are suffering through the most painful trial. It's easy. Believe me, I'm a Christian 40 years now. And it's easy, it's so easy, to say, God, you're so good, you're so faithful, to recognize His presence when everything is going well. Right? But as soon as things go south, it's so hard. Deuteronomy 
Israel getting ready to possess the promised land, they're going to face giants. They're going to face nations that are much stronger than them. And this is what God tells them. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't worry, Israel. Don't fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. If you're a Christian, that is a promise. That God will never leave you nor forsake you. His presence is continually with you forever. He told the Old Testament people of God, His presence is always with them. And He tells the saints today, that's you and me, the same. Hebrews 13, the second half of verse 5 and verse 6. He says, I will never leave you. This is the New Testament now. This is not the Old Testament. He's not speaking to Israel. He's speaking to us. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen. <clears throat> when I was first became a Christian, like I said, almost 40 years ago, I struggled deeply with anxiety and panic. I mean, deeply. And many times, I felt, how could God's presence be here that I feel like this? I remember one time, it, it was, the anxiety was really bad. I had a bad panic attack. And I remember, I opened the Bible, and I looked at this verse, and it said, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And I kid you not, as sure as I'm standing here, a wave of peace flooded my mind and soul. I mean, look, I don't believe in playing Bible bingo. You know, you open the Bible, you point it. And I, but I believe... <clears throat> Listen, we do... When you're a new Christian and you don't know any better, you, you do that. And God is faithful. And God deals with us according to our level of maturity. But if you're a Christian... 5, 10, 15 years. Don't play Bible bingo. Read your Bible. Study it. Learn the promises. Learn that He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise. Recognize the presence of Christ. When your hearts are overwhelmed with suffering, remember Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. His presence is continually with you. Go to the scriptures and let the spirit of Christ convince you that his presence is with you. When your heart is overwhelmed with the pressures of life, pray. Psalm 61 verses 1 to 4. We pray it with David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Some scriptures or some versions say overwhelmed. I like overwhelmed better. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. It's a promise. It's a promise. When you go to the rock, that's Jesus Christ, that is higher than yourselves, you will recognize his presence in your life that he'll never leave you and the peace of God will flood your souls. Jesus promised his disciples in John 15 that he would send the comforter to be with them forever. Another promise. And in his great commission in Matthew 28, he promised his disciples, and not only his disciples, that was an extension to all believers, that he will be with us even to the end of the age. It's a promise. It's a promise. You go to Proverbs, those are not promises. Those are probabilities. When Jesus said, I will leave you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, that is a promise that you can bank your eternal soul on. Now, sometimes we fall into sin and we don't feel the presence of God. God's trying to get our attention. That's understandable. But he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. When Mary recognized... Excuse me one second. I got to get to my... 
you know, this is the, the uh, problem with modern technology. When I used to use notes, I never lost my place. <laughs> but, um, but when Mary recognized Jesus, she immediately, what did she do? Enjoy. She went to hold on to him, but Jesus had to stop her. This is very interesting. And Brother Marty, you asked me about this a couple of weeks ago. Let's go to verse 17. find out why Jesus stopped her. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me if I have not yet ascended to the Father. Some versions say do not touch me, but I'll explain that. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now there's two ways we could look at this. The first one is Mary should not hold on to him because he did not yet ascend to the Father. And would appear again before he does. In other words, Mary, you don't have to hold on to me. I'm, I'm going to be here for another 40 days. Don't hold on to me. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be with you again. Or, and I think this is the view that most scholars hold. And I, and I lean towards this view. Her relationship with Jesus was not going to be with him physically anymore. Because he goes to the Father. But her relationship was now by the Holy Spirit. Which he will send when he goes to the Father. So, I'll explain that. So Mary is clinging on to Jesus. Now the, Greek, the, the word in Greek, cling, means to hold on to an object, to retain in hand, to seize. Marvin Vincent, the great Greek scholar, says, the verb primarily means to fasten, to, to fasten to. It implies here, not a mere, a mere momentary touch, but a clinging to. In other words, it was as if Mary was holding on to her, on to Jesus for dear life. She was not going to lose him again. She lost him once, she's not going to lose him again. And Jesus tells her, don't hold on to me. Again, Mary did not understand. And I would agree with Dr. Kostenberger, who said her reaction is entirely natural. It was a natural reaction. Yet, once again, it reveals misunderstanding. <clears throat> Jesus was not going to be there physically much longer. He was going to the Father, but he was going to send his Holy Spirit. That's the bottom line. His permanent being with her and the disciples was not physical anymore, but in spirit. So that's why he said to her, don't hold on to me. Now, other versions have, don't touch me. But it couldn't mean that Jesus didn't just didn't want Mary to touch her because a few verses down, guess who was touching him? Thomas. The, hand, the, the, the nail scars. So it wasn't about touching. It was about Mary trying to hold Jesus here physically. They had to learn how to walk by faith now. Not by sight. They must learn to worship in spirit and truth without his physical presence. Jesus sending the Holy Spirit and filling them and every believer was far greater than his physical presence could bring. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Now, most people you talk to, they say, I would love to have been with Jesus, the physical Jesus. I believe if I was with the physical Jesus, my problems would be gone. Now, let me tell you this. Let me challenge you with something. You have it better. I want everybody to hear me. You have it better than the apostles did at that time. Did you know that? They had the physical Jesus with them, yes. You have it better because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Two things they didn't have. They didn't have the completed Word of God. We have the completed canon. It's done. Nothing's going to be added to it. Nothing's going to be subtracted to it from it. Plus we have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now they got the infilling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But at that moment in time, when they walked with Jesus on earth, even after He was resurrected, they did not yet at that point have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That came at the day of Pentecost. And we, as believers, have it better now. So, 
We need to stop wishing that Jesus was going to walk, appear with us and walk with us physically. Because we have him in the fullness. <clears throat> when Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going away in John 16, what does it say? They were filled with sorrow. But Jesus told them in John 16 verse 7, he said this, It is to your advantage that I go away. Now he's telling them, it's your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send them to you. We have an advantage today. Thank God Jesus went to the Father. Thank God that He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. By the way, the physical Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, He's an eternal high priest, constantly interceding for you and me. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and He filled the disciples, they received the full understanding of Christ at that time, to work in the believer's heart, to become more like Christ, and to be empowered to be witnesses for Christ. Jesus could only be at one point, at one time. Mary, stop clinging to me. I must ascend to the Father. The Spirit will come, and you will have me forever through my Spirit in you. We worship today, God in spirit and in truth. Mary was worshipping the physical Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. Because he was, is, and always will be God. But the physical presence was ascending to the Father, the Father's right hand, and he was sending the Holy Spirit, and every believer now would share the presence of Christ with the Spirit. You know, when a loved one dies, they're no longer with us. Now I hear people in their grief many times say this. They say that he or she that has passed away will always be with us. They're looking down from heaven and watching over us. Did you ever hear that? People say that? Well, that's just not true. The Bible doesn't say that, nor should we. we all, all we have is memories of the person. We might have pictures of videos that will ignite our memories, but that's it. It's only a memory. We don't have the person. Or if we read the history of a person, of a famous person, at best we have an historical account of that person. With Jesus, we don't just have an historical account. We do have an historical account, but it's not just an historical account. But we have the actual person living in us. That's the Spirit of Christ. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 28... Again, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Dr. Warren Wisby, whom I love, he said this, What a tremendous assurance, I am with you always. In Matthew one twenty three, he was called Emmanuel, God with us. And here, he reaffirms that name. He is with us through his spirit, in his word, by providential care, and with his divine presence. You don't ever have to doubt, ever again, that the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. And I say this cautiously, if you're a believer. Another wonderful thing that happened because of Christ's death and resurrection, is the second half of verse 17. Jesus said, but go to my what? Is it up there? My brothers, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, there's two things we need to see here. One, one, we need to see we, we, we need to see this that we have a tremendous privilege of calling God our Father, God and Father, the same way Jesus Christ called him when he walked the earth. His God and Father. We have this tremendous privilege as, as, as Christians now. Yes. Dr. Carson said, Because of Jesus' death, resurrection, exaltation, His disciples come to share in Jesus, sonship to the Father. Romans 8.15 says, We have received, or says, We received this sonship by His Spirit. That we are now sons and daughters of God. That we can actually call God our God and our Father. 
before we came to faith in Christ, before Christ came into our lives, guess who was your father? Devil. Oh no, the devil was never much. Listen, the Bible says, unless God is your father, the devil is your father. But when you come to faith in Christ, that changes. God is now your father. Because through the atoning work on the cross, Christ has reconciled us back to the Father, and He is now our God and Father. Number two, Jesus also said, go to my brothers. Jesus calls you brothers. That's a generic term. It doesn't mean, you know, it's, it's, it's addressed to both men and women. Go to my brothers. He calls you brothers. Hebrews 2.11 says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, meaning Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. So Jesus tells Mary to go and tell my brothers these things. And Mary now has the privilege of being the first evangelist. She goes and tells them, I saw the Lord, he's alive. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. She was overwhelmed with joy. And in her joy she said, I have seen the Lord. When you recognize the presence of Christ in your life, guess what? You go and you tell others. In 1978, when Christ first saved me, you couldn't keep me quiet about Jesus. You just couldn't. I told so many people about the Lord. Most new Christians, they are red hot. I was red hot when they come to faith in Christ and then they begin to cool off a little bit. Now we need to become wiser in our evangelism, but we never need to cool off. Never cool off. Always be fervent in your evangelism and telling people about Christ. And when I say wiser, I mean to understand when to talk and when to back off. <clears throat> little story. You know, I have the best illustrations of my earlier days when I was a Christian. So I became a new Christian. God saved me. Christ was my Lord and Savior. I was extremely happy. I was going to this church in Staten Island. This woman needed a ride home. Put her in the car. We're going home. We're going over the Verrazano. And right in front of us, a car flips over three times. So I pull over, we get out of the car, and miraculously, the girl that was driving the car did not get hurt at all. But she was in state of shock. I mean, state of shock, she was just staring. So we were talking to her, seeing how she was doing. And then we go into this evangelism. And we started talking to her about Jesus, and the girl that I was with said to her, you know, would you want to say the sinner's prayer? You, you don't tell somebody to say the sinner's prayer when they're in a state of shock. You know, we had a lot of zeal, but no wisdom. What that girl needed at that point was just comfort, our arm around her, and waiting for her, or waiting for the ambulance to come and help her and take her away. A lot of zeal, but no wisdom. I hope I've grown since then. <laughs> Never let your light go dim. Tell others about Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16, 14 through 16, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now we can take this two ways. As I said before, we tell others about Jesus who don't know him. But Mary went and told the disciples who already were believers. We should also tell each other and encourage each other that Christ is alive and His presence is always with you. So yes, we should go tell others that Jesus is alive. Unbelievers that don't know Jesus. And, and, and hopefully reach them for, for Christ. Win souls is, 
is being wise. Winning souls is wise. But we also need to talk to each other and encourage each other. When someone's going through a hard time, a brother or a sister's going through a hard time, we encourage each other. Jesus is alive. His presence is always with you. Let's conclude here. Recognize His presence of the resurrected Christ. How, how do you recognize His presence? You go to the scriptures regularly and let the Holy Spirit encourage you through them. Don't look for something tangible or a feeling to know His presence is with you. Believe the word. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. And finally, because His presence is continually with you, go and tell others. The next time I speak, we'll look at points two and three. Okay, for now, meditate on His presence is with you continually. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that even though Your Son Jesus Christ is at Your right hand, physically, His Spirit is with us continually. Your promise to us is you'll never leave us, you will never forsake us. Help that promise to be deep in our hearts, God, that when trials and tribulations and the troubles of this life come, we'll have that assurance. Christ is with them. They'll never leave me. They'll never forsake me. And God, if someone here does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, God, your word says in Romans 10, it says if we believe in our hearts, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in our hearts that Christ raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. God, I pray you make that truth a reality to someone who doesn't know you here. And they would call upon your name. They would turn to you. And you'll save them. And they too will have your presence continually with them. Bless your people, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.